0: You're listening to the Heroes Podcast
1: Network. Hello and welcome back to Red Shirts and Runabouts, part of the Heroes Podcast Network. I'm one of your regular hosts, Greg Bosco, and we're here for uh, episode 59 of Red Shirts, and with me, as always, is the very fabulous Derek. Say hello, buddy.
2: Oh, hey. I'm fabulous. I'll take you it. Are
1: fab- you are fabulous. <laughs> that's the discussion this week, is who has a better beard, you or Ash Tyler? But we'll talk about that. Oof. Uh, that's, that's a good comparison. Um, but before we dive into the episode point of light, we've got a little bit of Trek news. And, you know, this is a uh, Red Shirts is the Heroes Podcast Star Trek podcast, but we've been spending a lot of time these past few episodes talking about because there's news about Star Trek like every day. And I mean, Derek, you finding stuff like even on the Picard show. um, Go ahead and enlighten us for a little bit because there's a lot of people that probably don't know this. Sure. Yeah. So to your point, there just seems to be
2: so much Star Trek news these days. Um, The Picard series is still yet to be named. We have a little bit more info there. So Patrick Stewart himself, sir, Patrick Stewart, um, has gone on record and said that the Basically, the season is planned to be what will feel like a 10-hour movie, which leads me to believe it'll be approximately 10 episodes then, uh, if they're going with a normal episode format. And to top things off, the kind of story structure that they've been planning out, the character arcs and so forth, they are prepared to go three seasons – um, of course, this does not mean it has been given three seasons. It means that they have ideas or plans for three seasons.
1: Well, and that's a good point because you know, oftentimes the television shows, it's up to the actors and actresses. You know, if they want to leave after a season or two, it kind of causes problems. Patrick Stewart has at least voiced. He's interested.
2: Right. And I think that that's key to know that they're they're starting something that's not one and done. I know a lot of people were concerned that some comments were made that made it sound like it was a limited series. And, you know, it's a little bit of semantics, right? I mean, there's no such thing as a unlimited series, but, um, you know, the point is, is it a one and done? And that's not the plan. Now, of course, whether or not they get greenlit for a second season, you know, we'll have to wait and see about that. But the plan is three, um, which is pretty cool there. And then, you know, it sounds like it's one big continuing story. So something that's more akin to towards the end of DS nine or season three of enterprise. Um, even maybe even more so than discovery. If it, they really want it to be like a 10 hour film.
1: Yeah. And with his interest and depending, I know every week that every week, it seems like Discovery's Oh, it's going to get canceled or whatever. But I think as long as discovery is running and Patrick Stewart is interested and the fans are interested, I, I legitimately think that the Picard show is still going to go forward no matter what. I know there's still ups and downs on whether section 31 is going to happen, but I think there's, he's talking about it too much and he doesn't usually talk about his projects at all. Yeah. He's clearly very
2: excited about this. Um, it's something that he even turned down initially because he just didn't, he thought his time as Picard was done. And while it was a very important part of his life, he thought that that chapter was closed. And, you know, the story that was pitched to him was significant enough that he felt that this was worth returning and no no real risk to tainting the character or anything like that and i mean i I, I trust him you know sir patrick stewart aside from being picard of course is just a phenomenal actor stage actor shakespearean actor Uh, i trust him um to your point earlier about discovery there have been all of these articles and rumors and and talk speculation about discovery being canceled and not getting a season three and i just want to kind of put all that to rest and say as of today there is zero information that pertains to a cancellation of star trek discovery uh if anything there is a great deal of evidence in the opposite direction first off alex kurtzman um the show has taken over showrunner here in season two says that there are big plans for season three they've already been mapping it out in addition to that um there have been comments about Uh, Michelle Yeoh's character as Philippa Giorgio, her Section 31 character, having stuff to do in Season 3. Also, reports are coming in that CBS All Access has seen a 50% increase in subscribers in uh, 2018 versus 2017 with Season 2 versus Season 1 of Discovery here in 2019. Um, With a 50% increase, you're not going to just up and cancel that um and then they're also adding two more short trek episodes that are planning to come out here after season two both animated and that will tie us into one more news piece before we move on to the episode but it's just a lot of discovery stuff going on
1: you know so yeah and you and i for example are also both big fans of the orville mm -hmm. but you know they've been talking there's rumors out there that the orville is going to get canceled and i just don't see both of the premier science fiction space exploration shows being canceled at the same time
2: the orville is kind of interesting because it's on fox and those who follow science fiction particularly on fox know that the station the network has a history of canceling really good sci-fi shows like you know almost human or firefly and um the Orville, there's also, the, of course, the other joke that Seth MacFarlane never gets canceled. Um, you know, point to Family Guy and American Dad for that. Uh, of course, the Cleveland show did did get canceled. But there's some kind of running jokes about the Fox News, the Fox executives not knowing what to do. They have a sci-fi show, which they want to cancel, and a Seth MacFarlane show, which they don't. So, um,
1: you know, we'll see. Yeah, I mean, because I, I remember Space Above and Beyond back in 95, which had an amazing one-year run. And then it got canceled, like, right as they were going to start filming season two. And it shocked the hell out of everybody. And it's, like, fringe. You know, Every it seemed like every six weeks they just kept moving the episode, the show, from Tuesday night to Thursday night to Sunday night to Friday night. Nobody knew when it was airing.
2: Mm-hmm. And with Almost Human, I mean, they, they cut the episode orders up and, like, moved episodes in different orders. And it was a continuing story. So it just made no sense.
1: So, I mean, we'll we'll see. But, yeah, Discovery's not going anywhere in the interim. And I don't think the Orville is either but i you know i'm trying to there's really isn't a lot more news out there i mean we're not we're not into spoiler territory yet but this episode point of light definitely hints more of section 31 involvement mm-hmm. love it or hate it we'll talk about that when we start talking about the episode but that does lead credence towards the Giorgio series of some kind especially with michelle yao who obviously is interested in doing sci-fi and she's done a lot of sci-fantasy type movies so this isn't out of her realm of ability it's it's kind of up her up up what she's always done Mm -hmm.
2: yeah you're absolutely right um the final piece of news and then we'll move on to our our episode review is uh they announced the directors for the two animated short tracks that will be coming out after season two of discovery um the first is actually uh known to anybody who follows the directors of discovery um uh i really apologize if i'm pronouncing this wrong but it's osun oh oh soon tsunami uh, he has directed a few episodes of discovery and will be um directing one of the two animated short tracks and then michael Giacchino, who is actually a composer and did the music on all three star trek kelvin films among many other uh, movies of late is directing the other short track which is interesting
1: yeah it's interesting i mean He he did really good with music for those three movies, obviously. Uh, The scores Mm -hmm. were fantastic. And the director you mentioned, I I have difficulty with his name. I know he's a Nigerian director, one of the few in Hollywood. And he actually directed Point of Light, this week's episode.
2: Right, right. Good connection. Mm -hmm. And he definitely directed in season one as well. I I don't have the list in front of me, but this was not his first Star Trek attempt.
1: No, it wasn't. And there's something to be said about finding directors that enjoy doing sci-fi and not uh, constantly repeating directors. I mean, again, we'll talk about the episode, but at least it shows their own personal and you know, and typically to me as a naive fan basically, when an actor, actress, director, whatever, when they take a personal interest in something, like Robert Downey Jr. with Iron Man. How many for how many years were they saying Iron he was going to leave? And he never did. And they kept asking him, what's your plans? And he's like, well, you know, I want Iron Man to be more of a leader. And Marvel's like, all right, we can do that. So when they take a personal interest in their story, it tends to help. Agreed. Agreed. Uh, but that's it for news. That's all we got. Yeah, I don't really have any news. Um, there's some new Star Trek items in the Star Trek shop, if people ever peruse the website. New clothing and some new hoodies. Uh, they even made new glasses that look like the uh, Jeffreys tubes from, from the series, which is really? kind of I didn't yeah, see Yeah, actually I bought some and they just arrived today. They're pretty neat. Yeah. Um So I got to give them credit for that and there're definitely no shortage of uh disco shirts everywhere.
2: <laughs> Plus the new ones that premiered in this episode.
1: <laughs> that is right. And you know, we're going to talk about the episode here shortly, but again, this episode before we even get into any spoilers con- continues to reinforce with me the uh how Tilly is the best probably the best character on the show to me. mm
2: mm-hmm. Mhm. Well, one quick was, uh, so those new t-shirts, before the episode even premiered on Thursday in the morning, I got an email from StarTrek.com showing me the new t-shirts that would premiere that evening. They were already up for sale.
1: <laughs> well, let's face it, you know, these companies are realizing that people like this, when, when fans see something on a show, they tend to want to buy it. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's whole websites dedicated out there to warn on TV
2: yeah, you're right. You're definitely right so, about
1: that. But let's let's jump into this week's discussion on Point of Light and you know, it's a very important plot episode very I mean this especially the, um, for episode 3. I will admit it wasn't you know, before we even get into the spoilers, it wasn't a favorite episode of mine. It wasn't bad, but it was it was mediocre. Yeah, I think that
2: that's fair. Um, we've got a Twitter poll that we can go over, but it's got a six point four on IMDb for what it's worth. Um, definitely not the best of Discovery.
1: Yeah, it's not the best, and again, it's not it's not the worst. And for our listeners out there, Derek and I were talking a little bit before the before we started recording, and there's an episode I constantly refer to from Star Trek: Next Generation, Code of Honor, which was a very early season one episode that was just, it was. You know, the the older you get, the more like racist you realize it is and the more bad it is. Mm-hmm. We're not we're not saying I'm not saying point of light is like that. I'm just saying it's more just it's kind of just bland almost.
2: Yeah, I, I think that's a fair way to look at it. Um, we actually so we do a poll for these episodes to review on Twitter just to kind of get a feeling for how everybody else feels about it. And um, we got uh, definitely more mixed results. On this one, more often than not, the, the A category is very strong, but 53% of our voters gave it a B, with 9% giving it a D or lower, and 18% giving it a C. So really, you know, it's it's kind of all over the place. We got some comments from people. Uh, somebody gave it just a a, bi- a, a big fat F uh, was was something there. Um, some other people said, it, you know, not their least favorite, but it would definitely be be lower on the list um big step backwards from episodes one and two i assume they mean of, of this season the tone was too dark um you know things of that nature so i thought that that was very interesting that it was just a, a much more mixed review episode whereas the first two were were very positively received
1: yeah and on the episode kind of opened up with It opened up interesting, you know, with the, and again, we're obviously, don't you can't talk about Discovery without talking about spoilers. So... So spoiler alert, let's just dive in. Yeah, (laughs) spoiler alert, exactly. (laughs) So when you think about it, the episode opened up, I thought, kind of interesting with the whole, you know, the Vulcan diplomatic shuttle arriving and, you know, Burnham's like, well, that's, that's Sarek's ship. And the whole time you're like, that's kind of interesting, Sarek's back already and it's not, it's Amanda.
2: Yes, that was that kind of caught me off guard. That was surprising. Uh, She was great. I really enjoyed um, her her name's uh, Mia Kirshner. And I just thought she was stellar as Amanda.
1: Yeah, I mean, she was phenomenal. You could see you could, you know, when her and Michael are talking and she's talking about how she was never able to really have the emotional bond with Spock that she wanted because Sarek wanted him raised like a Vulcan. You could almost see pain in the actress's eyes. Like, she can she can understand how horrible that would be for a mother. And, she, yeah, she did a great job. And I actually liked that it was Amanda, not Sarek, because it's having variety and having a little bit more of that emotional side to the Vulcan story that we don't. Because, like you've been saying for years, Vulcans have emotions. They just suppress them.
2: Right. Yes. And I, I think that that is something that people tend to forget, that, you know, the Vulcans are emotionless. It's, it's just not true.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, you don't know when a Vulcan might be interested in having an emotion and they just somehow stifle it because they're supposed to just because they're a Vulcan. It's it, it it's an interesting dichotomy with the way it is. But I liked having Amanda on on the screen and Mia Kirshner did a fantastic job mm-hmm. and you got to see her dynamic with Michael and her talking about Spock and uh Amanda being a little bit more of a, a stealthy, you know, because what she does is something that, you know, Sarek wouldn't do.
2: I appreciate that they gave her a very specific type of strength. She's not just there, right? Because historically, she's really just been in a supportive role. She is supportive of Spock when he gets his Katra back in the voyage home. And she's supportive of Sarek in TNG on the episode Sarek um, and protective, right? This is not, I mean, yes, she's still obviously trying to take care of and protect her son Spock, but she's much more active. She's much more
1: action, actionable. Excuse me. Well, and you kind of get the mystery vibe because she wants to know the truth. She knows that people can have trouble, be in danger or whatever, but she has that underlying belief as a mother. She's like, whatever I'm being told is not the full mm-hmm. truth, which, you know, as a parent myself, if I got that impression from, I don't know, medical or legal staff, I it would be, it would drive me absolutely crazy.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think it's a really good point, right? Because the situation gets complicated. And I am by no means a doctor. So I'm not speaking from a, a place of experience here or anything, but since Spock, you know, we're told an episode in one of the first two episodes that he, he checked himself in, uh, that was voluntary. You know, then the question is what kind of rights does his next of kin have when it's a voluntary situation? And then we're now being told that he committed murder and it's still being done in this very kind of top secret way. when, It's not wartime. This is not a war criminal. This is not someone who's outside of the Federation. This is a Starfleet officer. You would think that this would be something taken very seriously, that his captain would have been made aware of it, that his father, who is an ambassador, uh, would have been made aware of it.
1: Yeah, and like you said, it's not just murder, but it's like three murders Mm -hmm. is what they're saying. He killed three of the medical staff around him, which, you know, I think that's where this episode starts taking a hit because those star trek fans that have always watched i mean there's yeah there's certain stuff spock would be able to hide of you know hiding a sister or hiding cyborg all that kind of jazz but so it's like you already kind of know as a fan you're like well the murders obviously aren't real it's just like a cover-up of some kind because if spock you know if if in canon spock actually killed three people in the past i mean you're gonna know about it everybody's gonna know about it
2: yeah you're right um that's one of the one of the downsides of doing a prequel is, you know, you know some of what's to come, you know, and this gap is only 10 years. So we we know that at some point he ends up back on the Enterprise, uh, like it or not. So I think you're right. I think it's supposed to, you know, they're trying to specifically keep people away from him. And I'm assuming we're supposed to believe that this is because he's providing information to Section 31 somehow about these points of light.
1: Yeah, exactly. He's got... A long history, and again, this is getting in the huge story spoilers. If you haven't watched this episode, go watch it because the whole Red Angel item and story and portion of the story Spock's been having an image for 30 years, mm-hmm. basically. And so that's not like a small thing. We're not talking, you know, Spock was good at baseball or something, and he's good forever. It's he was literally having thoughts and images of something as a kid as a young Vulcan, that's now real in the universe, impacting the galaxy as we know it. That's not, I mean, that's, that's huge. That's, that's a pretty big, that that's a heavy thing to throw in at a mm-hmm. story.
2: Yeah, I, I think you're definitely right. And, you know, we, we, we learn a bit about why Spock may have never really mentioned Burnham. You know, we learn that she did something really terrible to get him to leave her alone. Um, Because she felt that he was at risk because the fundamentalists wanted to kill her.
1: Yeah, and so again, it, it brings up the whole notion of what could she have done and, you know, everybody's all that rumor of it's something being romantic. It better not be anything romantic. Hopefully she just insults his heritage or something.
2: No, Alex Kurtzman confirmed it has nothing to do with anything romantic in any way it didn't even occur to them to do that the first time that that thought popped in their minds was when people were asking if that's what it was
1: and they were like yeah which i i agree it's just a bad idea yeah so you don't have to worry about that (laughs) but something we know from other shows and the movie and the at least the kelvin movies which i kind of think are relevant somewhat for spock's childhood because yeah there's a divergence in timeline with the kelvin but spock still was going to grow up on vulcan anyways Mm mm-hmm so we kind of get an nature, an idea that he's sensitive about his background and maybe that's something burnham did if she insulted his heritage in some in some capacity that would make spock just not forgive her
2: that is possible
1: because it's it's something that would undercut him and you know burnham is is slowly kind of getting into the uh The TNG issue that you and I have talked about where she's just perfect at everything. So it would be kind of good. It would kind of humanize her if if she did. I hate to say humanize. It's not good to hurt somebody. But as a kid, if she thinks it's going to help him, if she does hurt him, it's something... You know, what is that hedgehog's dilemma where people are getting close and they're scared to get close because of hurting each other? Mm -hmm. She's scared of hurting him. She doesn't want her to be used against him. So she has to drive him away. I'm like, that's a very... That's a very human feeling that lots of people have.
2: Right. I think you're right. Now, the Spock Burnham story is actually kind of a small part of this episode.
1: It's the smallest part, I would argue.
2: So do you want to touch on Tilly or do you want to touch on the Klingons?
1: I want to save... Let's save Tilly for the end, just because it was amazing. Um, But yes, the Klingons are back and they're back in force. And... I can definitely tell that this episode, the the showrunners at least heard the criticism of the Klingons, because there's a lot of one-liners in there about trying to bring the Klingons back to what, you know, TNG DS9 Klingons.
2: Mm -hmm. Well, first, I just want to say, seeing the hologram of the D7 Klingon battlecruiser was pretty freaking cool.
1: That was amazing, especially when they're talking about, you know, this ship is going to help bring are forced back to a level of dominance because in the original series the D7 was a monster. Mhm. The the Federation always had to deal with it and there's even the TOS series when the the Federation realized that the Klingons traded D7s to the Romulans and they're like, well, this is a this is a big problem because this ship can match the Constitution basically. Yeah,
2: that was the big balancer with with those two classes, the D7 and the Constitution, and to know that the Federation was ahead with the constitution class uh, by a good margin like pre-war is kind of a big deal because that means that the enterprise at least you know let alone the other 11 or so constitution class ships is a decade or so older than the d7s yeah
1: and now the klingons they're using it as like a unifying a rallying force Mm -hmm. which is always kind of terrifying when you have a very dominant militaristic species (laughs) who view a military weapon as like a unifier Mm -hmm. it's i mean it makes complete sense story-wise but it's also a little terrifying but yeah it was great seeing it just seeing the design and seeing their responses i loved it
2: yeah i mean a lot of the klingons clearly looked more look closer to the next gen era that most of us kind of picture initially when we think klingon you know there's of course the tos klingons which are retconned in enterprise um but you know, from the TNG DS9 movie era, we kind of have an idea of what, what Klingons look like from those. And these guys got a lot closer.
1: Yeah, and the only complaint I have uh, that people haven't already touched on, well, I mean, people have touched on it. Even the actress has admitted it. I feel so bad for the actress playing Laurel with the the, the speech. Because mm-hmm. you can tell that it's still physically difficult for her with all the prosthetics. Yeah, to just communicate,
2: it it kind of gives you just a whole newfound respect for Doug Jones who plays Saru because he's he's a creature actor. That's what he's he's really known for. You know, he played Abe Sapien, for example. Uh, He was the um, uh, the amphibious creature in The Shape of Water. Um, You know, that's just that's his thing, and so yeah, he talks so well and moves so well in his prosthetics that you you know you kind of gain a newfound respect for how incredible he is at that job.
1: Yeah, I am with you on that.
2: But uh, yeah, you know, Lorel is an interesting story cuz so she has Ash Tyler or Voke or Ash Voke Tyler as kind of her, you know, second in command viceroy type role. And it's an interesting choice because there there's no question In anybody's mind that seeing a human, whether he's human or not, seeing someone who looks human standing there has got to cause frustration and aggression out of the various Klingon houses when they just finished a war with the Federation.
1: Yeah, and you can tell that they all don't like it. They don't care for him, even though she says a dozen times, she's like, he looks human, but he is Klingon. He is, you know, he is this, he is that. He was born a Klingon, raised a Klingon. He fought for us as a Klingon. And they, like you said, they don't care. He looks like a human. He looks like their enemy. Right.
2: And I mean, to be fair, he doesn't remember being Klingon really either. Not exactly. You know, he has memories, but he doesn't have those feelings. He doesn't really know, know Vok. He isn't Vok. He's somebody else. Well,
1: and he kind of says that in this episode, that he feels... What was this quote that he feels like when he's pretending to be Vogue, he's actually lying to his true self or something? Something like that, yeah. That sounds right. Which, again, is... I always like... I like the actor. I think he he does good in the part. And, and, you know, for the timeline... I mean, that's what people don't realize. The timeline right now is still moving pretty freaking fast. uh, Because the season picked up right at the end of season one.
2: Yeah, I think if, if I... My biggest complaint with this episode is probably the pacing. So much stuff. Is packed into this between the Spock storyline, the Lorel storyline that ties into the Section Thirty-One storyline, and then you still have Tilly's storyline.
1: Yeah, and so much stuff was just rapidly advanced for time purposes, which on screen it's fine, but it's like you don't catch it, but your brain does, and then you think about it, and you're like, "Man, there's there's a lot of stuff happening," and the Klingon story is inter- is intertwined with with Section Thirty-One. And the whole, the, the whole, and again, spoiler, 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 but the whole child between Volk and Laurel, which makes sense. I mean, in season one, they apparently were, were they were together quite a bit. Mm. And so that doesn't surprise me. Uh, and the one, the one thing that really kind of frustrated me, I get the, that one, um, that Klingon house that was really like upset about that and disappointed. And, oh, we found out you had a kid and all that, blah, blah, blah. From the Klingons we know, and I know Worf has said on screen in DS9 that in war there's nothing more honorable than victory, but I also can't help but think that if you're a great house and you kill literally like a three-month-old baby, the other great houses aren't going to think much of you.
2: I mean, I agree, right? But something that DS9 really taught us is that the Klingons can also be very deceptive when power is on the line, when it's political power that's on the line. You know, they were willing to do things that we would normally attribute to Romulans simply to gain political power in the Empire. And that's kind of what this felt like, right? Um, that the whole goal here is just to control the Empire, who is going to to wield the United Houses. That's a big deal. It's a big question. It would shift power in the quadrant. I mean, it's why Giorgio shows up because of how significant that is, that Section 31 is just going to keep tabs on it constantly.
1: Yeah, and the whole reason Zarjo gets involved is Ash Tyler communicates with um, Burnham, which I kind of thought was a nice touch, is, you know, we don't know their relationship anymore, but he still feels something for her. Mm-hmm. And she obviously feels something for him. But again, you know, the Klingons are able to train, like the track that because the guy's face paint was seriously was literally like a listening device and
2: yeah that was some crazy sci-fi stuff there i mean it, it's like nanite technology which is kind of interesting
1: yeah they aren't they aren't messing around and and you're right i get it the whole political misgivings when the i mean obviously the duras family had no problem killing anyone and everyone around them i mean hell they you know duras killed kalar and <laughs> and the klingons are like oh were, that's fine she he considered her an enemy So, but then Section 31 gets involved, and again, the scene was great. I mean, I thought the scene was fun to watch on screen when O arrives, but again, the back of your brain starts asking your question of how much time has passed, because those those weapons she had were pretty freaking amazing.
2: Yeah, um, I I will say I did not like, there was one weapon she used that basically got um, Cole Shaw stuck in, like, floating flubber, for lack of a better term. Um, I didn't like that. I thought that was kind of a silly weapon. I don't know.
1: Well, what's the? I hate to ask, but what's the point of that versus just stunning them?
2: Right, I agree with you. I completely agree with you. And it just seemed like something that I don't know. It just it came off silly when you've had this this brutal hand to hand battle with Batleths and and other blades, and you know there's blood squirting everywhere. I mean, we can talk about that for a minute too, and then it just cuts to like this more family-friendly weapon and it just seemed really out of place
1: um well and speaking of the blood that was uh i gotta give him credit that was a nice throwback to star trek 6 undiscovered country klingon blood
2: yeah so that's it's hard for me to tell because i'm kind of colorblind so the blood looked off to me but it was so fast compared to when it's floating in the undiscovered country so it was purple
1: it definitely looked purple at least to me
2: cool yeah um Fun fact, it's purple in the Undiscovered Country because it was red and they wanted to push it for an R rating. And changing it to purple blood let them avoid that.
1: Which is still just mind-numbing to me, but I don't understand our sensor system anyways. (laughs) Um,
2: A couple other cool Klingon facts from this episode. So Kenneth Mitchell, uh, he was the actor who portrayed Cole uh, in Season 1. Well, he got to portray Cole Shaw cole's father in this episode
1: no oh, well that's kind of neat especially because he's already familiar with the show anyways keep the same actor
2: right like so that's pretty cool I'm glad, i I like that they're trying to reutilize care characters who've already been part of the show you know it's something that star trek has a history of doing and i'm glad they're continuing that um and then one other thing is a uh, a woman klingon a female klingon is wearing a um Wearing crests from the House of Mok, which, of course, is Worf's house, which is very interesting.
1: Yeah, I'm going to have to go back and rewatch, uh, get some close-ups of that image. Because I actually thought the Klingons looked... They definitely looked better in this episode. They definitely started to get the more of the feeling. I mean, they even had the throwaway line in there. Oh, I, I hear now that the Klingons are at peace. They're growing their hair out. Uh, which, whatever. Um, but they're even starting to change... Overall, some of the prosthetics for some of the Klingon actors and actresses just to make them look which is fine. I mean, you know, that's let's be honest, nobody's praising the Into Darkness Klingons,
2: no. And Cole Shaw looked, looked pretty Klingon to me. I mean, you know, um, I think people forget how different the Klingons looked even in the same episodes. If you were to look at some DS9 stuff where there's multiple Klingons in a room together, none of them look exactly the same. That's never been. The goal in Star Trek, um, and so
1: no, you remember you remember the episode when Riker served on a Klingon ship? Oh yeah, and you had like you had like thirty different Klingon actors and actresses on. They all look radically different. None of them look none of them look similar at all. No, I
2: think we we think they looked similar because they all wear the same thing on the old shows, and that was more of a budget thing than anything else.
1: So, well, and I actually i I get it though because a military society. You know, they have their armor and they have like their family crests wherever they need them, which kind of makes sense to me.
2: Oh, yeah. And, and I'm with you. I think I think it works. Um, but this is a situation where you have got a show that has a, a much more substantial budget. Technology has moved ahead where they can 3D print a lot of these props and weapons. And so there's more flexibility on what they can have from a costuming perspective. And I was having this conversation on Twitter earlier today that, you know, Canon is very important to me being cons- as consistent as we can be having this universe make sense is important but you also have to balance that with good storytelling and you know i specifically was actually i was talking to my mother today i she finally started watching discovery and it's throwing her off that this is a prequel because of how advanced everything looks because she grew up on tos and i mean i get it you're right every like, everything looks more advanced we've got holographic communication, like. You know, something out of Star Wars, you've got, you know, f- f- transparent displays with touch screens and, you know, all this kind of crazy stuff. But, you know, would you have wanted and I, I mean this with all like with all ge- being genuine, all of us being genuine out there, would you really have wanted to see a legitimate Star Trek TV show where the sets were made of cardboard and the rocks were made of styrofoam?
1: The answer is no. And, you know, I didn't hear anybody complaining about freaking Battlestar Galactica when they re- Brought it back, and obviously they used every ounce of technology they could to make the show look better, feel better, sound better. And nobody cared.
2: Well, Battlestar, I think got the little advantage of it being a reboot rather than it existing in the same timeline. You know, but uh, but I I mean, I get it. Like, I I really like the Battlestar uh, reboot, and it looks great. You know, the Vipers are awesome. Um, But uh, you know, we look if you're gonna pay for a show and let's face it if you're paying for cbs all access you're paying for netflix if you're international you know you want to get your money's worth and while there have been fan productions that look good and look like the original series that's not what the average viewer is going to want to watch in 2019
1: no it's not and you know i'm fine with the visual changes they need to make it they need to follow technology it's no big deal to me absolutely so,
2: so of course, finishing up the Klingon thing, right? So, Georgiou shows up. She's keeping her cover, uh, being the Prime. Georgiou, even when Tyler tries to call her out and calls her Emperor, uh, which I thought was funny, she she just blows him off. But uh, yeah, she's really just merciless, right? Like she was like ready to just kill Tyler and the baby to protect Lorel's position in the Empire to keep that stability in the quadrant. I was just gonna ask, was there any moment where you thought that she had killed them?
1: for a little bit but but then I kind of knew with them introducing 31 I knew there was going to be more subterfuge than we thought I will say I was surprised that there was a whole section 31 starship
2: right yes um that was interesting so the design of it kind of reminded me of the discovery as far as like the materials it was made out of
1: yeah I mean it was very advanced ship we don't know warship or not but it was definitely at least a stealth ship
2: Mm -hmm. very much so so the set this is kind of interesting so the set for that bridge type area was actually a revamp of the set used for the shenzhou's bridge in season one
1: no i did not know that but again makes sense reuse stuff to save money wherever you can especially because i didn't i didn't even notice that
2: yeah, that was pretty cool. Um if you see a side by side, they've got some uh, I think I think Trekcore might have posted it. Um you can kind of see the resemblance once you you look there, but the way they built the original set was it was raised up. It wasn't on the ground. So they were able to take the floor out and basically build like a two-story set using the skeleton um that they had built for the Shenzhou. And it's just it's just super cool.
1: Okay. But I, I think we'll both agree that one of the issues with the Section Thirty-One use in this episode is, that, again, it throws off the timeline of everything, for how fast she's gone from just joining Section Thirty-One to I guess she's not a captain, but she's definitely in charge of a Section Thirty-One ship of some kind.
2: Well, I don't think she's in charge because there's the one guy who uh, you know tries to give her some some criticism, and she says, you know, don't don't give me notes, um led me to believe that he's in charge and she's just one of his agents
1: maybe um i kind of took it as almost a second in command questioning her ability for recruiting or something because she's like oh yeah he's with us when she's talking about tyler interesting yeah
2: yeah it was about her recruiting speech she said you know you need to work on your recruiting speech or whatever and she says don't give me notes so i mean maybe it could go either way i guess um but you're right not much time I and mean, we're only talking months here not years
1: yeah because if you think about it they still have. No idea who this woman really is or what her capabilities are. I mean, they have the notes from the Discovery crew, I'm sure, but they still, that's a big risk for our version of the Federation to take.
2: It is. um, You know, I guess the argument could be made that she has all of these skills and abilities. She is very cutthroat and she's lost her empire and needs a place to feel useful. And... Maybe, I mean, maybe her aspirations are to one day lead Section 31, and really the best way to do that would be to do her job very well.
1: No, that's a good point. And again, at least she looks, you know, Michelle Yeoh looks great. The the crew looked cool. The ship looked awesome. Uh, The technology was neat. And again, it kind of led to the whole Section 31, again, spoiler alert, but they gave her props of tyler's head and her child's head to use with the command with the the klingon high command basically to go you know this you know this There was an attempt on my life because tyler was a traitor and you know he killed my child so i killed him and took his head and she was able to the, something like that is going to unify the klingon high command when there's an attack on the chancellor and then she even used the the coal one that they she even used him like oh he died defending me which is pretty amazing, if you ask me.
2: It was really clever. Now, I don't know if that was Laurel's idea or if that was coaching from uh, George or not, but yeah, that was uh, really... um, I mean, what's the word I'm looking for? It was just really deceitful, really clever to use that as a way to unite the houses when the actual actions, of course, were meant to divide.
1: Absolutely, and she's using it to help unify the... The Klingon Empire, you know the whole you know, I need a stronger title than Chancellor, you're gonna call me Mother, oh, that was kinda of weird, um, I get it, yeah, I mean, Mother's a very powerful title, I'm not talking that, I'm just I have a hard time imagining you know somebody from Gowron or Martok's family <laughs> calling the leader of the High Council Mother, um, that yeah, could be wrong
2: yeah i'm not I'm not really sure how to feel about that. I don't know that it really was necessary. I mean, I felt like she really made a solid case anyway to, to continue to lead. And I mean, you're right. It's not like it, that's ever something we hear used again, you know, not mother or father. Um, it's a little, it's a little different because I mean the idea is this is the, you know, the Klingon emperor in a way, you know? Um, so I was expecting her to kind of give her the title of emperor, um, as a, as a parallel to Giorgio or something like that.
1: Well, I actually thought that's what she was going to do. Was you know I'm bring, we're, I'm going to bring back a title that has been used for a millennia. You know I'm I'm no longer your chancellor. I am your empress. Right, and you know the last emperor was Kaelas or whatever, and then everybody'd be like, oh wow, that's pretty cool. The only re- the, the, the reason I bring up the mother thing is knowing the Klingons like we do from all of Star Trek. If you asked a Klingon warrior to have to choose between defending his mother or father or depending defending the chancellor, they're likely going to pick their own mother or father. You know, Worf spent his whole life trying to clear his father's name to the point where he was willing to accept his accommodation. That's true. To protect what was left yeah. of his family.
2: It's a good point.
1: So you tell Worf, no, you. Now you have two mothers. Worf's going to be like, what? <laughs> I this is this doesn't work for me. Yeah, but again, you know, different show, different. I I get what they're trying to do. She's the mother of the new Klingon Empire. Is basically what they're trying to say. Right.
2: Right. And, you know, I don't know how much more we're going to see of them now that Tyler is with Joe and the Empire is relatively, you know, moving forward, relatively stable at this point with Section 31 watching it. I don't know how often we're going to see Laurel for the rest of this season.
1: Probably minimal, especially if you think about it, we're next next week is four episodes in and we're still not very far along with the whole Red Angel storyline.
2: True. You know, we've only gone to two of the seven red dots and we haven't actually seen spock yet um so you know there's just so much other stuff that i'm sure they're gonna have to focus on
1: and speaking of focus let's end let's end our discussion with tilly yeah who okay so her little manifestation of her friend may that took a little bit of a dark turn this week
2: who it really did i wasn't sure where that was going at first there was a part of me that felt like maybe she was from the mirror universe
1: I was kind of definitely getting that vibe as well, especially for how quickly she turned the the May character turned.
2: Hmm. Um. I mean, you know, everyone kept talking about how there was you know Tilly would have a connection to the the spore network, the mycelium network, because of that little spore that lands on her shoulder in season one, and I totally got that. Like, yeah, to, makes sense that was there for a reason, but it never occurred to me that May was like a parasitic fungus.
1: Uh, one hell of a parasitic fungus as well <laughs> let's be honest you know that ripping that thing out of her body with a dark matter tool that was not pleasant to watch no but that character i mean again for those of you who haven't seen it i don't know why you're, you're 45 minutes into our episode by now but the may character is essentially trying to control her and get tilly to act the way she needs her to act for whatever reason we don't know why
2: mm-hmm.
1: but she's definitely trying to control tilly
2: yeah i wasn't I wasn't sure what the, what the goal was, you know, like, was she trying to get back to the network? Was she trying to destroy uh, the spore drive so she doesn't, she can't go back? I wasn't really clear what her goal was.
1: And I still don't think we're, have any idea of what her goal is. And you bring up a good point if if she's just trying to get back to the network and she's been spending this much time with Tilly or essentially attached to Tilly's body and brain she's already figured out that if she just asks i want to go back to the home can you help me she knows starfleet's going to say yes i mean she has to have figured that out by now in the past year
2: that's that's what is really kind of confusing about it right because she she does kind of take a complete 180 and becomes this very aggressive overbearing untrusting being that is just driving Tilly insane. I mean, it, it to the point where Tilly is yelling at Captain Pike on the bridge. When he, Obviously, she's not yelling at Pike. She's yelling at May, but nobody can see May. So it looks like she's yelling at Pike.
1: Yeah, and even Pike, uh, poor Anson Mountain, even though he had no idea how to even react to that. It was
2: weird, right? Because this is a woman who is part of the command program. She's the youngest ever admitted to the command program. She's brilliant. She's personable, like you know, she's a very like positive character. And then here she is sitting in the captain's chair, a- appearing to yell at the captain.
1: Yeah, and even finally admitting to Burnham that yeah, I was avoiding sick bay, I was avoiding all that because I get what she's saying. In in the working my day job that I'm that I work is she knows going to sick bay and admitting this kind of problem is going to is basically her career's over. They're going to just assume, well, there's a mental issue. And even if they prove that she doesn't have it, there's always going to be, she's always going to be worried that that stigma is going to follow her around. That's a very human thing. It's unfortunately why so many people don't seek mental help for like mental therapy and such. It's because they're worried that people are going to judge them. So I actually get that. She's worried about it impacting her career. And as a person, I can appreciate that.
2: Yeah, I agree with you completely. Um, I'm not sure if that's the last that we've seen of May uh, after they, they take her out of Tilly's body. But you know, it sounds like Tilly kind of gets the normal episode reset of everything's going to be okay.
1: Yeah, I mean, the preview alludes to the uh, the whatever, the fungus creature in the next episode as well. But we don't know what the end result is because, you know, Saru, they could have killed it, but they didn't. So it's because that's Starfleet. This is a new life form. They want to study it and figure out what the hell it is. Right but it was it was pretty intense because Tilly goes from the end of last week's episode just thinking whatever it's a goofy thing may whatever blah 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 to you know 2 minutes into her first in on the bridge May's already driving her crazy <laughs>
2: <laughs> but yeah so not, i mean there's not a whole lot to show there she's she's doing other command program stuff we see her training for a marathon and you know May's bothering her the whole time but she uh, it, this is really about her mental stress her mental strain of Really thinking that she's she has an issue and she might be losing losing her mind.
1: Yeah, and she legitimately fears that it's going to impact her and her career and her. She even says she's like, "Well, I'm never going to make captain now." She does. It's so, like she's already assuming that she's defeated, which that's why I've continued to say that she's the probably the best, my favorite character on the show because she's you. I mean, we've been doing this podcast for almost you know about, over a year now and. That's my biggest complaint on a lot of shows, not just Discovery, but when characters are too perfect, it kind of drives away the reality, the humanity of their character.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: Tilly brings all of that humanity back. Like, her and Stamets have so much humanity, like when early on when Stamets is all arrogant because of his position and all that jazz and yeah, the sport drive kind of changes him obviously and then obviously, you know, losing his better halves changes him. But they have so much human impact, like a, a, or like human characteristics of them that people can relate to. That I just, I love Tilly, the character, the actress. She's in twenty years. We better have like a, ca- a show just with her.
2: Yeah. So Mary Wiseman, she, that's who plays Tilly. She's just wonderful. We we've been very lucky as Trekkies that. The cast members on really all of the shows have been pretty wonderful, and Discovery is no exception. You know, with Mary Wiseman as Tilly, uh, Mary Chifo as uh, Lorel, Anson Mount as Pike has been phenomenal. Obviously, Saniquea Martin Green, Doug Jones, and Anthony Rapp have been incredible in their roles. Um, you know, Wilson Cruz, uh, you know, in the first season as as Culver. You know, we just. Shazad Latif as, as Tyler. We've just been so lucky to have these people who are fans of the show. And with Discovery being the first Star Trek in the social media era, it's really cool to see them interact with fans on, on Twitter and Instagram and all these other places just being themselves and being fans of the fandom.
1: Yeah, I mean, hell, it's Anson Mount is one of the biggest ones, and he's only been on three episodes. Mm-hmm. But he is extremely active on... Social media, especially Twitter, interacting with fans and answering their questions, talking to the artists. I mean, he's, it, it, yeah, it's interesting having it. I wonder what Next Generation would have been like if we had Facebook and Twitter back then. Um, yeah, probably season one and season two would have been rough online. But hey, <laughs> They survived. They did.
2: Well, um, you know, we, we talked about the poll. So this was a very split episode. Do you have any other final thoughts on this one?
1: No, I mean, there, a lot of cool stuff happens with O and Section 31 and Tilly and the Klingons and such. But I, I do agree with the kind of the, the hard 6, six seven rating or like a C-plus rating. It just... It, now that we're three episodes in and the overall plot still isn't advancing. And they've gone to two of the locations, but they haven't really done much. It's... They need the next... To me, it's it's they're hitting that arc where the next three episodes really need to start driving stuff, or otherwise you're going to have the Star Trek fans like you and I we're going to watch no matter what. But CBS All Access is going to be based on keeping those non Star Trek fans interested. Mm-hmm. So hopefully, they start hitting that plot pretty heavy this these next few weeks.
2: I agree. Um, one thing I want to point out is something that one of our uh, our Twitter follows followers, excuse me, pointed out. Uh, in response to our poll. And that's, you know, a lot of us, especially us podcasters, our Star Trek, the Star Trek podcasters out there, there are are a lot of us. um, We have a tendency to be really critical of these shows. And we all have our reasons and they vary. Uh, In my case, just speaking for me, you know, it's because I've, I've seen so much of it. I've watched, you know, every episode and every movie a million times over. And I, I, it's uh in some ways that universe is you know very real to me and so we we look at it with this incredibly critical eye to wonder well what are they going to do next right where is this character going to go where's the story arc going to go and for star trek this is the first time we can really do that because the other shows are done we know when we sit down and watch any episode we know what comes after it we know if those are real consequences that continue we know if there's continuity issues or or anything like that and with discovery we we don't know yet and so my goal is to to kind of ease back a little bit in the sense of giving them a chance to tell their story and look at it as a whole picture rather than the you know rather than nitpicking every single decision that's made
1: no, I, can, I understand that. I would agree with that. It's something I was interacting with another podcaster on Twitter where I'm, you know, the the comment I always make where you can love something and still criticize it. And that's why, like, I don't buy criticisms on the look and feel of the show. Like, I don't care that it, that it looks different. I think that's a weird criticism. I think people want, that want to criticize because the story is a little off or a little slow or you can't relate to the characters, I think that's good criticism. Mm-hmm. But... Yeah, you know, a lot of the criticism seems seems centered on aesthetics versus story, and to me, that's that's the wrong place to have criticism. If you want to criticize the ship because it looks different, whatever. I mean, I mean, this Star Trek's been around for fifty years. We've had hundreds of bizarre starship designs.
2: That is true, and I'm not you know immune to that. I I slammed the Discovery design of the ship early on too, um, but you know, I, I think it's important that we try and look at the series as a whole.
1: Well, you slammed it. You made one comment uh, two years ago and you never <laughs> brought it up again. <laughs> so, I mean, that's to me, that's a normal kind of criticism. Like I don't, I wasn't a big fan of the discovery uniforms early on, but now I kind of like them.
2: Oh yeah. No, I like those. I
1: I really love the new, the uniform Pike and the engineer were wearing early on.
2: Yeah. The TOS redesign is super, super cool. Uh, they they might top the beyond uniforms cuz i'm a big fan of the beyond uniforms um, from the movie but the the new TOS ones might might top that
1: yeah i mean and i always love when people complain about it you know what, what what sense does it make for them just to wear a uniform that has a color and you know i'm if you think of like a true egalitarian society where people can identify your specialty of some kind in seconds that's you know doctors these days they wear scrubs you go into a hospital, you can usually identify and separate the doctors and the nurses pretty quickly.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah.
1: So it, we, we do that anyways. We do that with utility technicians and engineers and, you know, waste collectors every day. People are wearing some kind of uniform or identifier. It's That doesn't surprise me. It's Starfleet. It's a military organization. It's
2: Well... Well, we'll get. We we won't touch on that one. The military.
1: Military. Or... It's military, kind of. <laughs> at least the way it's organized.
2: Uh, no, that's just that's a fun t- discussion to have. So.
1: Uh, we could have a eight hour podcast on that alone.
2: <laughs> All right. Well, that's it for me. I got that's that's it for me on Point of Light.
1: Yeah, that's it for me too. You know, episode was like I said, it was it wasn't bad as in some of the bad episodes of Star Trek have been. It just it was a little weak. But like you said, I think you used the word earlier, it was a little disjointed with the way it was approaching things. It was too
2: fast. There's just too much.
1: Yeah. Remember the last two episodes we did when we said not a lot happened, but it felt like a bunch did? This was the opposite, where a bunch of stuff happens back to back to back to back, but it feels like they accomplished nothing.
2: Right. Yeah. I mean, each one of these storylines could have been almost its own episode. and um you know, part of me is just concerned they might be they might have too much on their plates this season. Whereas, you know, lots of other shows like uh, like the Marvel Netflix shows have been known to kind of have some lulls where you can maybe take out two or three episodes and make the story more succinct. Here, I feel like they could actually use like some time to breathe.
1: You could have done a whole episode with Tilly and May mm-hmm. to really drive home the neuroses and the mental health issue that she's experiencing. Because it happens pretty much instantaneously this episode.
2: Sure. I mean, they could have modeled it after the episode Sarek from TNG, where you kind of watch the Sarek character break down emotionally. Um, you know, it's a very powerful, intense episode of great performances by Mark Leonard and Patrick Stewart. Um, this episode could have modeled off of that concept.
1: And you're telling me there's not one Beta Z anywhere on the damn Discovery? Come on.
2: <laughs> uh, not that we've been introduced to.
1: Now, now would have been the perfect time. Some little lieutenant, uh, you know, approaches Captain Pike and he's like, you don't understand something's wrong with Tilly. <laughs> it's a good point. But no, that's it for me from Point of Light. So, you know, we did, we did our news, we did the discussion on the episode, uh, But Derek, if people want to reach out to you to discuss Star Trek and find your Twitter polls and your discussion boards and everything, how can they do that? So
2: I am the Star Trek dude on Twitter and Facebook. Come talk to me out there. I'm doing my DS9 rewatch right now in conjunction with kind of a new workout routine. I'm I'm calling it Trekking to Trek, where I work out while I watch Star Trek because I'm a dork.
1: Well, if you're going to be a dork, that's a good way to be a dork. (laughs) What about you? Well, you can find me on Twitter at The, the underscore bitter steel. And you can also find the show on Facebook, Apple, Google Play, and even on just regular any search engine at Redshirts and Runabouts or at Heroes Podcast Network. You can just search that in those search boxes and the chances are the top two or three links is going to be our show or one of the sister partner shows and many of those Derek runs himself. So if you are interested in finding out more of what we do, just, again, it's Red Shirts and Runabouts on Twitter or Facebook, whatever you want, or Heroes Podcast Network. But we're going to be back next week. we got a few more episodes coming up. Rapid fire, see if we can advance that story. So it was a good one, Derek. But I think uh, let's get ready to close out Point of Light. Sounds good. I'll talk to you next week. See you then.
2: Red Shirts and Runabouts is part of the Heroes Podcast Network and is executive produced by me, Derek Mayer. Our music is by Flying Killer Robots. Please consider following us on social media at Redshirts Pod on Twitter or at Heroes Podcasts on Facebook, Instagram, Twitch, or Patreon. You can also go to heroespodcasts.com to find all of the episodes for Redshirts and Runabouts, as well as the other shows on the Heroes Podcast Network. Please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Blog Talk Radio, Google Play, or anywhere that you want to drop our RSS feed. If you drop us a review on iTunes, we'll be sure to give you a shout out on a future episode. Thanks for tuning in. Live long and prosper.